Amen. God is so good. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope Church, and I am here this morning with Mark. And when I think about Mark's story, I am reminded how God always continues to pursue us. He never gives up on us. Mark started attending New Hope Church way back when he was 16 years old, but he had some difficult experiences in life. And he started experimenting with what some people would call recreational drugs, and that, that sent him down a dark path, and he ended up in a substance abuse problem, seriously addicted to some uh, major drugs. But God loved him so much that he wouldn't leave him there. God continued to pursue him. And now today he is back here at New Hope Church. Once again, he has been here since December. He has been drug free since December. He is here with his family today to celebrate this event with him. And he wants to go public with his faith by entering into the waters of baptism. So Mark, I just have two questions for you. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Amen, praise God. And do you promise to follow him the best that you can all days of your life? Awesome, well then I, I'm excited, brother, to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come on now, come on church. Come on church, come on! Let the church say amen. amen. Anybody else thankful that God is growing a movement where prodigals just keep coming home? Come on now, love it. So glad you are here today. Hey, let's uh, give to the Lord his tithes and our offerings. As you know, we're not passing a basket during these days, but so many of you give online. I'm just wondering, do we have any cheerful givers in our mix today? At all the campuses, yeah. You guys have responded so well since January 1. You know, January 1, I started sharing with you kind of the impact COVID had, um, had had on us, and uh, you guys have responded so well. And on behalf of Christ and the church, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you wanna give, you wanna sow into this ministry, because Mark just represents lives that are being changed all over the movement, all over the stateside campuses in Kenya and beyond. God is using your resources to impact the world. So if you want to sow into this church, you're gonna see all kinds of methods by which you can, you can do that. You can text NH Movement to 77977. Seven. You can download the New Hope app, which is a great thing to do anyway, because you can see teaching notes and things there. You can also go to newhopechurch.org forward slash give. You can mail it in. Some of you still do checks. And then we all also have giving kiosks and giving boxes out in the rotunda. And so thank you for sowing into this ministry. Go figure it out. Click reoccurring and know that we are helping to change the world together. Amen. Amen. Hey, um, normally, normally when, um, normally when pastors like me uh, get up and they announce a guest speaker, you can sometimes sense a little ah uh, in the room. And you know what I love about this church is that that's not so with you. We're going to talk about that verse of scripture. Not so with you. You love when we have other teachers on this stage. And today is not a guest speaker. It's just been too long since he's been here with us live, and I'm talking about Pastor Mike Bro. Uh, yeah, yeah. Too long, bro, too long. Uh, I shared this story in the first service, so I'll go ahead and share it again. Uh, a lot of you hear me talk about my tribe, 
And it's about 14 or 15 pastors and, and they pastor great churches around the nation. And we get together a couple times a year, uh, go to a city, just hole up in a hotel somewhere, sharpen one another. We're always emailing one another. We're sharing sermon ideas. We're sharing exegetical research. We're sharing sermons. We're sharing illustrations. And uh, there's kind of this underlying uh, humorous moment. Typically when we're emailing back and forth, we'll say, hey, did you get that from Rusty? Or did you get that from Gene? Or did you get that from Benji? Or whatever the case may be. And normally, inevitably, somebody will say, well, it really doesn't matter because we all know that it probably originated with Pastor Mike Bro, This brother is a, a, a master homiletician. He is a great teacher. He, 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 doesn't, I'm, he will not be comfortable with me doing this because he's humble. He doesn't like this kind of stuff, but that's what makes him so special. He is a gifted man of God, one of the best teachers I know, and he's been my pastor, one of my pastors now, for 20 years. And so would you do what you do? Would you welcome Mike Bro to the stage today? Come on now. Well, it's always, always, always uh, a thrill for me to get to be with you all. I love this place and I uh, pray for you all the time. And when I'm not here, I'm with you in spirit because I, I feel like I'm a part of this family. And, and it's always uh, good to be with you, whether it's on video or whether it's live. Uh, it's good, really good to be, be here today. I'm so grateful for all of you and grateful for those of you that are joining us online as well or whatever campus you might be at. In case you don't know me, my name is Mike Bro, and I get to teach at this amazing place from time to time, and just a real gift to me uh, to get to be here. And one of the reasons I love North Carolina so much, my family spent a lot of time vacationing in North Carolina through the years, not just because of all the wonderful people that live in the state, but there's an incredible mix here of mountains and ocean and forests and lakes and cities and rivers, right? I mean, it's just kind of a very unique place to live. I'm just curious, anybody here ever like done any canoeing or kayaking on one of these North Carolina rivers. Yeah, I was thinking about a, thinking about a story when I was uh, in doing student ministry. Uh, I had hair and everything back then, and uh, I took a bunch of high school students on a canoe trip. It was it was either I can't remember if it was Tennessee or North Carolina, but it was a, it was a river we were going to canoe down. And that you, you take fifty high school students on a river, it's a recipe for disaster. I'm just telling you. So before the thing starts, this guy, this canoe canoe guy, the the guide is giving us all this safety briefing of you know what to do with the life jacket, how to handle a paddle, and what if you swamp your canoe, what to do, all this kind of stuff, because inevitably it was going to happen. So he's, he's telling all these students all this stuff about canoeing. And then he just kind of paused in the middle of his safety briefing. He said, you know, I've been canoeing for a long, long time, and people might consider me like an expert kayaker. He goes, oh, let me tell you what people that love to canoe like to do sometimes. Instead of just like going down the river, a lot of us like to turn around and, and paddle upstream. He goes, it's hard. It's a workout. He goes, but if you go upstream... You get to see things that nobody else gets to see because like wildlife aren't expecting anybody to be coming upstream. He said, and if you keep paddling, you like end up, you know, at the source of the fresh water. He looks at all these high school students and he goes, I'm just telling you right now, you guys need to turn your canoe around in life. Don't just go with the flow like everybody else is going. Go upstream. And if you do, you'll, you'll get toward the source of fresh water, living water, which is God himself. And I'm standing there going, canoe guy, wow, you got it going on. It was, I, I've never forgotten that little talk that he gave us in this quote-unquote safety briefing. And we're in this series where we're talking about this 
countercultural, upside down, backwards, upstream kingdom of God. In this kingdom, it just blows away all cultural norms, refuses to just go with the flow. Instead, it goes upstream toward the source of life. It is so radically different than any other kingdom on earth, we're referring to it as Modnik. It's kingdom backwards. We kicked it off a couple of weeks ago praying this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he says, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, more simply, we're praying, oh God, may up there come down here and bring it through us. So we're working through the word modnik, a letter at a time. And last week we learned that in God's kingdom, the M stands for more is less. And less is actually more. You talk about upstream thinking. I mean, in all the kingdoms of the world, more is more, right? I mean, that's the rule of society. You gain, you climb, you accumulate, you stockpile, you win. And no matter how you got to do it, you, you do it. And no matter who you got to step on or step over, you just do it. Because it's all about you and your kingdom. Because more is more. But not in this kingdom. I want to show you a verse from last weekend, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Because if you try to hang on to your life, you're just going to lose it. But if you will just give up your life for my sake, I'm telling you, you're going to save it. And, and what do you benefit anyway? If you gain the whole world, you lose your own soul. I mean, is anything worth more than your soul? And here's Jesus telling us, the more that you're looking for is found in less. In this kingdom, the way to become full is to empty yourself, to lay down your pride, to lay down your rights, to lay down your attempts to control everything and surrender to my leadership. If you do that, your life will be this thrill ride of purpose and passion and joy and peace and deep, deep satisfaction. In the modnik, more is less. And less is actually more. And today we're going to sit for a little while in the O and the D of Modnik, and they flow right out of the M. And you want to talk countercultural? Oh, my goodness. You talk upstream? In this kingdom, guess what? It's others first. How's that for totally different? Because, man, so much in the, in the past year, we have just seen all about my needs and my wants and my rights and my country and my opinion. We've seen all that stuff in the past year, right? And all that stuff still tries to rise up in me from time to time. Because honestly, my theme song used to be that old Toby Keith song. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my, what I want, what I need, what I think, what I feel, what I see. I want to talk about me, right? I read this book by, uh, I read this book by Dr. Jean Twenge, a late 20-something, who uh, did her doctoral thesis on her generation. It's full of extensive research, really, really good read. And you know all the generational labels, like you got, bus, you, got uh, you know, builders and boomers and busters and uh, Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, Gen Z, and on and on. But she labels her generation and her book, Generation Me. And she cites all kinds of studies that show how this preoccupation with the self is one of the leading causes of anxiety, depression, loneliness, suicide, and addictions being at an all-time high among college students, 85% higher than in the 1950s. And she writes this, our growing tendency to put the self first 
leads to unparalleled freedom, but it also creates an enormous amount of pressure on us to stand alone. This is the downside of the focus on the self. When we are fiercely independent and self-sufficient, our disappointments loom large because we have nothing else to focus on. Let me show you a scripture about real freedom. This is a scripture that goes upstream against the flow of all that me first stuff. I've asked every couple I've ever married to memorize this verse. And so I'm gonna, we're going to throw it up on the screen. Would, would you just remind, just uh, reading this out loud together from the screen? Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. Let's read it together. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You see, in this kingdom, people aren't preoccupied with self. People don't strive to impress other people in this kingdom. People don't power up on other people in this kingdom. People don't use other people in this kingdom. No, people in this kingdom, they honor each other above themselves. They see that other people as better than themselves. They are the first ones to pick up a mop or scrub a toilet or throw a towel over their arm and go serve somebody else because that's life in this kingdom. Because in this kingdom, it's always others first. You know, all the stories about Jesus are contained in the first four books of the New Testament section of the Bible. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all about the good news of, of the love of God uh, coming into the world. In the account that's written by, by Mark, uh, Jesus is walking with his 12 guys, his 12 disciples, and he, and he starts talking to them about this looming future that he's about to encounter just right down the road. And he tells them this in Mark 10. Guys, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, talking about himself, will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, the Romans, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then, after he tells them all this, he says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Really? It's like they're saying, hey, Jesus, sorry to hear about all you're going to have to go through, all that spitting, mocking, flogging, death. That sounds horrible. But enough about you. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about me. Number one, oh, my, me, my. So they come to Jesus and they say, hey, we were wondering, when your kingdom rises on this earth, we'd like to be in charge of that with you. Like maybe I could sit on your right and he could sit on your left and we'd like some VIP passes. Maybe you could arrange like a luxury box seat when, when it all goes down. And Jesus is so cool. He's so patient. I mean, these guys had been with him 24-7 for three years and still don't get it. I've been walking with him longer than that, and sometimes I still don't get it. But God's so incredibly patient with all of us. So Jesus gets them all together. He says, here's the deal, guys, listen up. You know how those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, the Romans, you know how they lord it over people? and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your what? Servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I'm telling you, those four words from Jesus, not so with you, have helped me so much as a leader, as a husband, as a teammate, as a friend, as a neighbor. It's helped me in traffic, on social media, in parking lots, at airports, at restaurants. Because when I'm tempted to power up on somebody, when I'm tempted to go first, 
the Holy Spirit whispers to me, come on, bro, not so with you. Not so with you. You live in the Modnik where others go first. In fact, did you notice how Jesus takes this whole thing a step further and tells us that in this kingdom, you actually descend into greatness. When Jesus talked about how those in power lorded it over other people, these guys knew exactly what Jesus was talking about because they knew how the system worked. They were living in the first century Roman-dominated society. And in that society, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but in that society, they had like a social ladder, a ladder that you would climb, and your status and your worth on this earth was based upon where you stood on this Social ladder. Can, can you imagine that? Having a social ladder? At the very top of, of this pecking order was the group known as the Royals. I mean, the Royals were untouchable. They laid claim to the very top rung. In fact, most emperors even laid claim to deity. They said that they were actually God Himself. The next rung down was the group known as the Senate. Now, this was an all-boys club of 600 powerful and wealthy men who called all the shots in Rome because they controlled all the wealth of Rome. Can you imagine living in a society where all the wealthy, powerful men controlled everything? I can't even imagine that. Right under the Senate was the equestrian class. Anybody want to guess what animal was associated with the equestrian class? Yeah, these were the guys who bought and sold and rode these magnificent stallions, these, these horses. Now, as a guy who grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, which is the horse capital of the world, I understand kind of the blue blood mentality of the equestrian class. There's still a whole lot of old money there, a lot of status still attached there. And these people in the equestrian class were esteemed as the upper class in ancient Rome. Now, again, can you imagine living in a country where people were held in higher regard because of their mode of transportation? I mean, just because they had a nicer, fancier, cooler way to get around than their neighbor did made them more important? I can't even, can't even fathom that. They're, they're, now, these three categories were known as the patricians or the, the upper class. And from here on up, this represented just 2% of the entire population. And then came the rest, known as the plebeian or the lower class. First in this class were the citizens. Now, to be a citizen of Rome meant that you had certain rights. You could vote. You could own land. You couldn't be punished without due process of law. You had the right to a fair trial. Now, citizens were not in the same class as these guys, but they had the same rights as that group did. Not so much with the next class. Underneath the citizens were what were known as the freedmen. Now, this class of people were free, but they didn't have any rights like citizens did. This group would include immigrants and foreigners, and including most of the Jews, the guys that Jesus was talking about living in the Roman Empire. Now, they, of course, had their own social ladder, had their own social class system among themselves. Jesus' gods would have thought, well, we Jews may not be like Roman citizens, but at least we're not like the Samaritans, those bunch of heathens. Again, I can't even imagine living in a society where worth is assigned based on your nationality or your race or your skin color or your heritage. Can you? Can anybody guess who the bottom rung belonged to? Yeah, it was, it was the slaves. And in Roman society, slaves were not only not free, they had absolutely no rights. They weren't even considered people. They were property. Slaves didn't have a say in anything. The only two things slaves could do were obey and serve. That's it. 
Now, in Jesus' day, in that culture, this pursuit of status had a link in people's minds to life satisfaction. The goal was to get to the top. Man, if I could just, if I could just move up a rung, then I'd be somebody. If I could just have more, then, then I'd be satisfied with my life. And the Romans had a name for their ladder-climbing ways. It was called the cursus honor, honorum, or the race for honor. Now, it would take a, a person a long time to climb up the ladder, but man, you could come down the ladder in a hurry. In fact, the Romans had a, a word to describe the people who lost their status, who lost their wealth, who lost their power. And when you translate the word into our English language, it's the word for humility. Humility in their eyes was not a virtue. It was an absolute tragedy. And every social function reinforced this race for honor. If you were at a dinner party, the person with the most status sat at the right hand of the, of the host, and the person with the second most status got to sit at the left of the host. When, when you went to an arena, went to the, you know, the Colosseum, all people had assigned seats based upon their status. There were luxury boxes. There were corporate boxes. There were season ticket holders. Then there were general admission ticket holders. There was probably a student section in the end zone. And then the rest of the people had to tailgate in the parking lot just wonder what was going on as they heard the roar of the crowd. And when you went to one of these events, it wasn't just the mode of transportation you had parked out in the parking lot or your seat that defined your status. You're not gonna believe this. It was your clothes that revealed where you stood on this ladder. Now, if you wore a toga in that day, uh, you were more than just like a frat house guy. Uh, yeah, you, you know where that's from. Only Roman citizens could actually wear a toga. Only this, this, these people up could wear a toga. And only certain people could wear certain togans, togas with certain colors of thread woven into them. And clothing was such a big deal that people down here on the ladder that could not afford like the name brand stuff were labeled personas mediocribus. Or the mediocre, the less than. Again, can you imagine living in a society where some people saw other people as less than? Can you imagine going to school where the tag on your clothes or the brand of your sneakers mattered? Can, can you imagine living in a culture where titles and tickets and seats and, and how nice your stuff is determine your worth as a person? That'd be like crazy, right? So with all that in mind, I want you to hear Jesus say, not so with you. Not so with you. The rest of the world may kill themselves climbing this ladder. Not so with you. He was telling us the Romans were dead wrong. There is no slave or free. There is no rich or poor. We are all created in the image of God and humility is not a tragic fall. In this kingdom, it's the beginning of the rise of true greatness. And I've always liked how C.S. Lewis described humility. He says, humility isn't thinking less of ourselves. It's just thinking of ourselves less. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. Now, anybody who spends time with Jesus is going to have a right estimation of themselves. They aren't going to think less of the person that Jesus deemed worthy enough to lay down his life for. You and I are deeply loved people. So humility is not thinking less of yourself. But I'm just telling you, when you start hanging out with Jesus, you do start thinking of yourself less. You just do. Because you're no longer caught up in climbing ladders. You don't care about status. You like you would never use or step on other people. 
Because you have a totally different view of this race for honor. You start to live like Jesus did, who came not to be served, but to serve. And you begin to realize, you know what, greatness, it doesn't lie in trying to be somebody. Greatness lies in trying to serve somebody. To me, this is one of the clearest, most important passages in all the Bible and how you and I are supposed to live our lives. We've seen it before. I'm gonna start again with Philippians 2, 3 and go on down through verse 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Then it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, saying, Jesus modeled this. Who being in the very nature of God, talk about royalty, talking about being on the highest wrong, wrong, there is no higher position, no higher status, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, held on to, but made himself nothing. Voluntarily gave up his rights as a citizen of heaven, taking the very nature of a servant, a slave, the bottom rung of the ladder, a nobody without rights, a piece of property, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And all the people said, oh, what a downfall, what a tragedy, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. No one on this ladder was ever crucified, not even a slave. Only a dishonored slave was crucified. So Jesus even went one rung lower. But catch this. Therefore, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Way beyond in the earthly ladder status. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, the one who humbled himself and voluntarily placed himself on the lowest rung, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that great? So, so Jesus asked you and me, you want to be great? I mean, like really great? Don't just go with the flow. Go upstream. Follow me. Come and die to your selfish ambition. Come and serve somebody, because in this kingdom, it's others first, and you actually descend into greatness. And since we're talking about going upstream, let me throw out another counterintuitive statement. Here it is. As long as you are all about you, you will never be happy. As long as you are all about you, you will never be happy. There will always be this huge piece missing from your life, a huge piece that God himself put in us when he made us. You see, we might not be able to consume or climb or compete our way to happiness, but we can serve our way there. We can serve our way there. There's a ton of research right now about this that reveals this big time connection between happiness and serving. In one study done at the University of Chicago, people were asked, what are the most fulfilling jobs or careers out there? Guess what kind of jobs were at the top of the list? Vocations where you teach others, help others, care for others, protect others, and serve others. Those were the jobs that were seen as the most fulfilling. And the other thing they found was that there was no like income level associated with their job satisfaction. Once a person reached a point where they could basically eat and pay their bills and live indoors with a flush toilet, they were happy with their job. And as they added more and more income, there was no significant increase in their happiness factor. The happiness, that deep feeling of satisfaction came from the fact they were serving other people. There was another study done over in the UK 
they did 40 different studies over a 20-year period that asked, is there a connection between happiness and health and selflessness? Is there a connection between serving other people? The answer came back a resounding, absolutely. And these weren't people who like volunteered every now and then, like once a year for something. These were people who carved out time to make it their lifestyle. I mean, somewhere in their church, somewhere in their community, somewhere else in their life, they just chose to consistently volunteer and give themselves away to serve other people. Studies show that those people who live beyond themselves have less depression, less heart disease, less stress, enjoy higher levels of satisfaction, contentment, and happiness. It was really amazing for teenagers. They found that students who regularly serve or volunteer somewhere to help other people experienced far less drug abuse, far less unplanned pregnancy, had a higher self-esteem. They were healthier mentally and physically. In fact, the study concluded, even if you have to force your teenager to volunteer, do it. Because volunteering, even with a bad attitude, still has positive results. They found, in fact, that teenagers who volunteer, they generally carry that and all the benefits into adulthood because it just becomes a part of who they are. I've seen this play out time and time again. I'm thinking about my, my buddy Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln grew up like this. Uh, he, he was definitely probably top 1% of the world's population. Very uh, privileged upbringing and uh, family in the spotlight and celebrity. And he was just really uncomfortable with, with it all, but grateful for it as well. Started coming to church and I invited a bunch of guys to go to Haiti. It's the poorest country in the Western hemisphere and we're gonna go build, a, build an orphanage. And so I took these contractor guys with me and a bunch of young athletes that could carry stuff. And he was a big, strong 19-year-old kid. So he signed up to go with us. And he'll tell you today that trip changed his life as a 19-year-old guy. He's in his 30s now, late 30s now, actually. And uh, he's been a very successful business guy. Uh, I mean, you're looking at the ladder, he would be you know, way up there in the eyes of our world. But he didn't see himself that way. That Haiti trip changed him. He's always looking for ways to serve other people. So I got to eat lunch with him just a few months ago. And uh, he brought with him a friend, a young guy named Will. And Will was from Uganda. And uh, I think he's in seventh grade. And he was telling me about how he and Will met and how Will had become his little brother over the past couple of years. And that uh, uh, Lincoln, uh, you know, he, he, so he, asked, he asked on Facebook one time, he said, I'm looking for some families to help during Christmas. Anybody got any ideas? Well, somebody came back with a private message and said, oh, there's family, single mom with three kids. They're living in a basement of an old house right now. They're from Uganda. They have nothing. So he decided, I'm going to take them some Christmas gifts. Well, he met them. He said, I just can't leave the gifts and not be involved in their life. So he kind of adopted Will as his little brother, and he has tutored him in school, helped him learn English. It got him involved in soccer. He's a really good little athlete. And then, he, then Lincoln goes, hey, tell bro, because he loves to do construction stuff. Tell him what you're doing right now. And Will said, oh, Lincoln got me a job. He, I, I make $15 an hour. He goes, I'm helping a friend of his. He said, how do you say, uh, he's flipping, flipping the house? I said, yeah. So he's a house flipper. He goes, yeah, yeah. So, so Lincoln, he has a friend who's flipping a house. And he asked me if, 
if I could help if I want to work and I'm learning all kinds of stuff and so I'm talking to him about tools and things like that and I said you need to learn because you don't want to end up like Lincoln and have to call people to to fix your stuff you know so I was having a lot of fun talking with the guy and and uh and he's just so proud of working every, every, every Saturday when he was out of school. He'd go work all day on Saturday with Lincoln's friend to uh, work on this old house. And then Lincoln, uh, what, then after we, we left the lunch, and then Lincoln texted me a little bit later, goes, I gotta tell you the rest of the story. So I got to watch it on video actually just a few months ago where Lincoln said to Will one day, he goes, hey, man, you guys have done a great job on this house. You wanna, you wanna show it off to your mom or your sisters? He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, let's let's have a let's have a reveal day for him, you know. He goes, that'd be that'd be good. So so he takes takes the family over there, and what Will didn't know that house he'd been working on for months was the house that Lincoln had bought for his family. And Will had actually, you know, done his own room, and he had no idea that Haiti trips changed that guy. He finds more happiness in giving himself away, giving his stuff away, and helping other people than he's ever found in his life. And I just think it's so cool that all the secular research around the world comes to the same conclusion, the same counterintuitive conclusion that, that Jesus said. Selflessness leads to happiness. Because as long as you are all about you, you'll never be happy, but selflessness leads to happiness. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't, I don't get that. How can, like, you know, being, living selflessly make myself feel better? How can emptying myself leave me feeling full? A bunch of you all know, don't you? Some of you serve around here tirelessly. You're always helping somebody and you know the full feeling it gives you when you give yourself away, when you live beyond yourself and you know the empty, shallow life that you had before when it was all about you, don't you? You know where you find the happiest people? You find them serving. You find them working at some shelter somewhere. You find them changing diapers and holding kids in Hopetown. You, you, you find them working with students. You, you, you just find them serving their neighbor across the street, going to an elderly neighbor across the cul-de-sac and fixing a leaky faucet and changing a tire for a single mom. You, when you just give yourself away like that, it just fills you up. So why do you say we ditch this ladder and we descend into greatness and we put other people first and thus bring up their down here. Let's pray together. Father, so grateful for uh, giving us a life beyond ourselves. A bunch of us, God, if we're super honest, we just admit that when life was all about us, it just stunk. It just left us with nothing else to focus on. It felt so empty. But living this life of humility and putting other people first, serving other people without expecting any acclaim or applause, there's nothing like it. And Jesus, thank you for the way you modeled that, not only by going to a cross, but just the way you lived your life to show us that, man, the best way up is down, that you descend into greatness. So Father, help us listen to your Holy Spirit this week. And we're tempted to go first and grab that parking spot and leave those dishes for somebody else. We'd hear you whisper, not so with you. Not so with you. You live in the Modnik where others go first. Thank you in Jesus' name, pray, amen.
Let the church say amen. amen. You know what amen means? So be it. That's what it means, literally. So be it. May that message continue to reinforce the culture of this church. And the question I would ask as we get ready to sing a song is what, what do we do with that? Bro and I were out having dinner last night and we got to talking about application. And in that moment, I decided to kind of come here at the end. What are you gonna do with a message like that? And you see, this is where I think the church is the hope of the world. This is where I think the church is so beautiful because there is no greater environment in which we resist upward mobility or upward ascension and we embrace downward mobility, downward descension. And it just gives me a chance to say, there's no greater time in the life of our church than right now for you to put that into practice. Have you thought about this? God knew when he was going to have you born. He's sovereign, he knows all things. And he chose to have you born in the 21st century. Moreover, he chose to have you born here and now, be in the church in the midst of a global pandemic, and he's placed you in the church to be a part, to be a key, remember? To be a key to grow the church out of a global pandemic. So I wanna invite you, encourage you, challenge you to embrace downward mobility and serve in the church. The way you do that is you simply text this number, but I'm gonna give you a better opportunity than the texting. Last worship celebration, we had an amazing response right down front, but they're gonna, they're gonna throw this up here. You can text serve to this number, 59769. You can watch your phone, do it right now. If you're like, dude, I just wanna go to the car. I wanna beat the Baptist to the restaurant. I'm out of here. You can do that. But here's, I think, a better idea. Meet me and other staff down front or meet your campus pastor at all the campus locations. Meet us down front. We wanna get to know you. We wanna, we wanna talk to you. We wanna share with you. We wanna hear where you think you can make a difference because here's the deal. You are a 10 in something. Every single one of you. You're like, I have nothing to offer. Wrong. You're a 10 in something. And when we get finished singing this great song, Waymaker, even you folks in the balcony, I can't believe we're already with people back in the balcony. Praise God. Again, God's doing it. We're growing this thing out of the pandemic. But I'm gonna be real with you, and I'm done. Because we've just come through a pandemic, we need all the help we can get. We really do. And maybe it's time for you to come out of the grandstands and get on the playing field and use your one and only life to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, to use your one and only life to change the world. We need you. But more than that, if you really listen closely to bro's message, it's not so much that we want something from you, we want something for you. 
We want you to experience this abundant life, John 10, 10. This is a joy that comes only when we put a serving towel over our arms and we humble ourselves and we put others first. So what do you say? Some of you have been coming a long time. You've been doing consumeristic Christianity way too long. There's a place for you. And I'd love for you to text that number. We won't burn you out. We don't want you to serve every Sunday. No, 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 no. Ideally, you'd serve twice a month. You pick the, day, the Sundays you serve. If you want to serve every week, you can, but you no need to. Text that number or meet me down front after this song. And for those of you who are already serving at all the campuses, can we let them know how thankful we are for them? We could not do it without you. Stand to your feet. Let's get this song going and let's sing to the top of our lungs for he is our way maker. Here we go.